golden age of film noir straddles the midpoint of the 20th century, a dark prism which continues casting shadows to this day. And though this inflection point spawns disproportionately from classic Hollywood, to say nothing of the topography of the Inland Empire itself, this has always been a global genre. Spotlighting the femme fatale this season, we checked in on plenty of continental precursors, and we're abroad again, this time with two mid-century Euro-noirs that both weave in the cinematic predilections of their home countries. And it's only just getting started. Post-war, film noir is firming up as a genre, and there is a drive to transplant that hard-boiled style into global cinema. In Japan, Akira Kurosawa shows the influence in Stray Dog and Drunken Angel. In India, Dev Anand stars in crime thrillers like Bazi and C.I.D. And back in Europe, where we kicked off the season examining early cinematic appearances of the femme fatale, we see the first bricks on the bridge between 40s noir and 60s art house cinema fall into place. All that is to say, this is an exciting time for cinema. New directors, new voices, all taking the noir formula that Hollywood spent the past decade perfecting, now emerge to pay homage while using it as a jumping off point for what comes next. We're not done with that golden age yet, but already we're getting a glimpse of just where this is headed. At home or abroad, the femme fatale will always find a place to land. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket. Suppose I let you over the warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. You're not too smart, are you? <laughs> I like that in a man. Hate is a very exciting emotion. I hate you so much that I think I'm going to die from it. What have we done to each other? What will we do? I'm not apologizing for what I did. I'm apologizing for what I didn't do. Silencio. Hello and welcome to Celluloid Dirt, where two friends get together to watch new and familiar noir films, then talk about them. I'm one of those friends, Fred Pelzer, joined by my friend, Kristen Johnson. And tonight we're following our femme fatale off to Norway and Italy, respectively. We've got two debut features tonight, both significant in their own ways, one being from our first female director of the season, which, uh, you know, is both good news and embarrassing, uh, and the other from one of Art House Cinema's most studied auteurs. We're going to start things off in Scandinavia with a little scene Norwegian noir, Death is a Caress. <laughs> Is a caress from 1949. Uh, it's directed by Edith Kalmar, starring Klaus Weiss, Jorg Racer Larsen, and Ingolf Brogde. Oh, I, uh, I I sure hope I did not. I, I did some justice to that, but uh, I've got no uh, no Norwegian in my uh, in my brain really. Um, screenplay uh, is by Edith Kalmar's husband Otto Kalmar. Uh, it's based on the 1948 novel of the same name by Arvin Moen. Uh, the plot is, uh, it's a pretty straightforward setup. Eric is an auto shop worker with a fiance, catches the eye of an older, richer woman named Sonia. Sonia and her husband hire Eric as their driver, and romance inevitably blossoms while her husband is on business overseas. Their respective relationships come to an end as passions ignite, and soon Eric and Sonia are off on their honeymoon. But the thrill of illicit romance quickly fades, and they prove an especially terrible fit for each other. Of course, based on the opening scene, we already know this is going nowhere good. It's just a matter of how we'll get there. Bit of backdrop, this is, this is the first Norwegian film directed by a woman, um, and uh, Karl Marr's directing career, uh, even though it kicked off here, it's pretty short-lived. Uh, she only spans uh, a decade. Her last feature, The Wayward Girl, came out in 1959, and it did happen to be the acting debut of the great Liv Ullman, uh, who will, of course, go on to be in many Ingmar Bergman movies. Uh, 
Uh, Brad, did you have any past experience with this movie? Nope. Fresh to me, I think it had come up on my letterbox feed at some point. I flagged it for the show, and here we are watching it. I, I really like getting taken to pockets of, of the cinematic universe that I have never ventured into before. And um, and, and aside from from Bergman, my, my Scandinavian uh, uh, cinematic education is, is woefully lacking. Um, so, uh, so I certainly haven't seen many films from Norway and definitely not any others this early. No, same. Just good old Ingmar. I did prep, uh, well, unintentionally, actually, but for, for this recording, I was just watching um, the Norwegian version of Taskmaster. Oh, how is that? Um, it's pretty good. I, I've, I've been enjoying the various international versions, but Norwegian's the first, not in English, uh, that I've, uh, I've dove into, and it's pretty funny. I like that. Nice. I like we're, that. we're currently, we're finishing season 16 tonight. Excellent. Uh, and good season. Just, uh, good season. Yeah. They got uh, Champion of Champions coming up too, or it just came out, I think. But uh, um, no, we're here to talk topic. about it. <laughs> uh, let's go back to, I mean, I'll talk about Taskmaster any day, but it is not the, the topic of this podcast. Uh, yeah, no, no, this is really interesting that, you know, as you noted, it's our, our first female directed of the season, which feels important for the Femme Fatale season. Um, but it's also, I don't know. It's definitely more in conversation with noir than the the earlier European films that we watched this season, but it's still generally more interested in being a drama than a than a noir. Yeah, this jumps in with what to me is like like oh you're hooking us with this noir kind of setup, and and then proves ultimately not terribly interested in that in that particular dynamic but you know it gives you the flashback to to bring you in and i'm sure that was a very conscious choice to to heighten some some tension and and and, and the way you think things are going to clash they don't you think there's going to be some real drama with her with sonia's husband or with uh or um or with uh um with eric's fiance and and those just kind of get waved off uh, they don't end up being... It's much more about how, like, being married is a drag. Yeah. Uh, so all of that that you think is going to go into being trouble, it just, it's not part of it. Um, but but their their passions really spark, and and then the 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 second half becomes, like, uh, just watching how these, these two people are such a terrible fit for each other, it becomes scenes from a marriage. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's sort of the interesting thing to me. Like, to me, the most interesting thing about the film is how it feels like commentary on the noir femme fatale archetype. And it is sort of this like, okay, if they didn't murder somebody, this is what would happen. And it would be, you know, not great for anybody, but also not in the most interesting way. It would just be two people who got together because it was sexy to be, you know, caught up in this affair. And then they realized, oh, this... But there's nothing actually here between us beyond dangerous chemistry. Yeah, uh, I and 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 you wonder like clear, clearly, like you said, like this is in conversation with noir. I feel like it's it it is it's made with it's made with that that uh, those American classics in mind and using that as a jumping off point. But it's ultimately trying to trying to say something else and trying to uh, I. Uh, th this is where my my own like limitations on on Scandinavian cinema and entertainment uh, like come in, but like it does feel like it's pushing more towards towards something unique about like the the entertainment or the the, the stories of that particular region. Um, and I, I mean, I mostly going off of you know what what direction Bergman tends to take his his films in, uh, but it definitely. It, feels of a strand with Bergman like it, it is I see you noted how it's you know Bergman tends towards the more religious which is totally fair but to me both this death is caress and a lot of Bergman's you know generally share a, a, an examination of, of, of existential malaise I think it's just something about those long cold dark winters and you just nothing to do but sit around 
and think about the mistakes in your life. Yeah. Uh, now, what I what what does what does work in this that I don't that I don't get much at all from from Bergman's cinema is is in their in their affair in their initial affair. There's like I, I, genuine passion in that and um, and and real warmth. Like I, I did buy their connection. Uh, yeah, I bought the connection. I bought like simultaneously the connection that is strong enough for them to make bad choices, and then the mismatch that is strong enough for them to regret those choices. Totally. Um, I, and and I think that what makes this work for me as well as it does is because that because she does sell that that particular transition quite well. Um, so so I'm on I'm on board with what brings them together. Uh, I, um, I I think that that I, I think that that particular passion this feels a good deal more overtly steamy than a lot mm. of American noirs are, um, and I th- I do think that tees up um, more that we see in European cinema in the in the sixties um, and eventually all the way into the erotic thriller later on. But I think this is you don't get yeah you, you don't get that kind of direct sexuality in it's all dancing around it's all innuendo in american noir right maybe um, even go back to you know the pre-noir entries from the season earlier that they were they're dealing with sex and like showing characters being in bed together you know 20 20 years before this and oh, yeah totally the but, u.s still is not doing it's not going to do that right like no, yeah. it's uh, it definitely you can feel that um, the European uh, more more liberal approach to sex um, in spades right here, and and, and it our, makes for the next one tonight too. Absolutely, um, and it's refreshing. I think it um, I, I think it um, it nicely. It even though even though this is ultimately not that interested in telling a noir story, uh, I, I I do think it it still fits comfortably within the genre and it and it brings some of those the uh, those other uh perspectives that that we just i don't know Holly, hollywood just boxes out um sure. by by virtue of of what it has to yeah and it's uh, something i mean like this is not really an aesthetic judgment but it's just something that i enjoy about movies from is is that there are a window into the past often when they're you know films that are set content contemporaneously but have now become time machines where you can sort of and i you know i feel like especially the studio system era hollywood is not very good for that in a certain sense because it is so heightened and stylized and burnished but uh, a lot of european cinema and poetic realism and neorealism and all that it can be fascinating to watch and just sort of from a sociological point of view and just sort of start to see like oh this is kind of what life was like you know it's still narrativized and processed to some degree but it feels a lot more direct than say watching the postman always rings twice no you're spot on and i i I think both of our our films tonight um deliver on that front but i i like i i just appreciated being in oslo out in the Mm -hmm. the streets and seeing um which i to I don't. I I don't even have a whole lot of of frame. Certainly not like mid-century. That it's just such a, a, a. It's like entering a different world, and we're so used to being trapped in the studio system that it's it's nice to get. I wouldn't. I I guess I wouldn't. I don't get like that old world Europe feel to this. Like we're going to get in our next mm. our next entry. Um. So it doesn't have that that same kind of vibe to it, but. Um, but it's still kind of fascinating because I I know know anything about mid-century Scandinavia. Same, same. Um, yeah, but also like this is sort of talking around the movie, right? Like because I feel like there's just not I don't know. I, you liked you like this movie? I I, I was lukewarm on it. Uh, no, I, I I liked it. I um, not I stopped short of of loving it, but I found it I found it uh, you know pretty. Um, Pretty compelling on a uh, 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 on 
what story trajectory it, it chose to it chose to tell. It very directly um, it, it's just concerned with how these people are are terrible for each other, and they've jumped in on something and they've thrown everything into it, and and it's all gonna come unraveled, and it gets in and gets out and gets done, and uh, and, and uh, it worked for me. I liked. It also was just re to me refreshing to see something that we we get um we get to watch our our kind of present our our icy femme fatale and she all of a sudden warms up as this affair ignites and then by the the second half um it, i i personally found i and i think the film pretty uh directly frames eric as being a drag yeah and, oh, totally. uh and and so all all of a sudden, your entry point being Eric is just uh, just eroded over the course of uh, of this. And by the the second half, you can you, you can see how much he's limiting her, and like, he just seems terrible. Yeah, I, mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I guess my yeah my thing is that it's such a it has sort of the one gear and it gets into that gear, and that's just it, right? This is just like these people don't really go together, but there's some real chemistry here, and that's. That's what it is. There's some chemistry, but they really shouldn't be together. And and it, uh, yeah. And and unlike unlike our other film tonight, where we have like a uh, like I I am actually familiar with a body of work with that with our director. In this case, I just don't have much. I don't have much else to go with on on Karma. I've not seen any other films, so um, so I don't know how much this is like setting up the the decade of career that she has to come or uh or you know where it slots in on her particular passions and obsessions oh she did do a thriller uh the young wife of an upper-class academic disappears while her husband is on holiday in a search for her the husband learns that there was much he did not know about both her past and about their relationship uh the wayward girl her last film seems like it's her her Best known the, with with Liz Allman, and that's mm -hmm. uh, an affair between two young lovers, educated in wild Gerd and her bourgeois boyfriend, uh, university student Anders, who decide to run away uh, and, when their parents disapprove of their relationship. Uh, mm -hmm. So, young love on the run. Uh, I I. I Definitely would like to check out more of hers. I don't know how available some of it is, but uh, but um, th this uh, this was sufficiently up my alley. It's kind of interesting seeing cinephile as a younger cinephile. You you do tend to throw yourself pretty heavily into '60s art house cinema. I feel sure. like it's a it's an early thing. But but what gets missed are a lot of the precursors to that. Mm -hmm. and, and and both of these tonight are just so at in that house, and it's. It's just always been a bit of a blind spot for me that I I am clearly still very much catching up on. There's definitely something to the fact that it is that era of foreign cinema. I mean, it's, it's from a U.S. perspective, right? That art European art house was just starting to make itself known in the states, but it still isn't that you know huge era of the auteur that's that's coming. Um, yeah, and I. Like I guess, I don't know. Is it, it, it the credit Rossellini with like kicking down the doors a bit and and opening that up? Is that and that seems like like where I'm. Mean, he's got to be one of the the post war the like highest profile, um, uh, especially with the Ingrid Bergman um, connection and 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 I think that really helps uh, expand. Uh, expand people's appetites for for um, European art house and 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 then by by the fifties when you're getting Bergman jumping into the fray and and Kurosawa is and oh, an international art house in general is like making a a big mark on on cinema. I think people just are are ready for it and it all kind of organically uh, studios are willing to invest in it and and. People are able to get their uh, their projects made and and a bunch of interesting careers develop, and this is just like right before we're at the tipping point, right. where a, a lot of a lot of big films are about to start coming out. I was going to say, including by our next director, uh, and uh, and that would be Story of a Love Affair uh, by 
Michelangelo and Tony Oni. story of a love affair is from 1950. It is the directorial debut of Michelangelo Antonioni, stars Massimo Garotti, who uh, we'll all remember, of course, um, uh, from uh, Asacion, uh, Lucia Bos, Gina Rossi, uh, Marika Rowski, and Fernando Sarmi, written by Antonioni, along with uh, quite a few others, inspired in part by Postman always twice. We keep coming back to it. Uh, uh, plot here is quite different, though. Uh, we have uh, in, um, Enrico Fontaine, industrialist, hiring private detective Carloni to look into the past of his wife, Paola. Carloni's investigation into her past unearths a tragic death, a friend of Paola's who died falling down an elevator shaft right before Paola was supposed to get married to a man named Guido. Guido gets a Wait, no, I thought the friend was about to get married to Guido. Uh, oh, was was that? Wait. Yeah, the friend was about to marry Guido, but they were having an affair behind her back, and then that was why they let her die. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's been a minute since I've watched it. Yeah, so it took me a long time to watch this movie, dear listeners, and uh, poor Tristan has been sitting on this for a while. He He was... Very dutiful, and and watched both movies two months ago, and I uh, watched one of them two months ago, and watched the other one today, or no, yesterday. Uh, all right. So backtracking on that. Ah, uh, um. So, uh, so a friend of Paula's died falling down an elevator shaft right before Paula, right before the friend uh, was supposed to get married to man named Guido. Guido gets alerted to this, tracks down Paula. And old passions are rekindled between the two of them, all amidst a growing investigation. So begins a plot to remove Enrico from the equation and avoid any lingering suspicions on long-buried crimes. Uh, this, uh, th th as you can probably tell from that plot, this is kind of a plot-heavy movie. There's a lot of things, especially in the first uh third half of it that are just like triggering one after another after another it's and then a classic, it's like, like detective investigation plot until we get to paola and then once we get to paola it switches over to her point of view and she becomes the main character and it, yeah it becomes much more vibe heavy yeah uh relatively very, very different different modes to this this is antonioni's first feature um Lucia Bose was Miss Italy, 1947. Antonioni met her over lunch at Lucino Visconti's house. Um, interesting enough. Uh, do you have any experience with this, Fred? Uh, no, with this one, I've watched... Um, Antonioni vibe. Laventura. And I don't think I've watched any of those others yet. Um, you know, it's, he's one of those auteurs where I'm like, eh, I'll, watch, hey. I'll watch like one a year and slowly hey, make my way through the... Pro Laventura. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I I just watched Lecleese. I just watched Lecleese this year, so I, I've not um, seen Blow Up though. Uh, well, I've seen Blow Up. I I really love Red Desert. Um, that is my favorite Antonioni. That's on um, my watch list. As is La Notte. Um, and Laventura is great. I'm a big fan. But I'm I'm a little all over the place with Antonioni. I think I, I think Blob's good, but but not quite worthy of its its seismic reputation. And uh, and um, his later ones, uh, Passenger and uh, Zabriskie Point, are kind of misfires for me. Um, but uh, but but I do I do love Laventure and Red Desert a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, so. I uh, was interested in watching where he got his start, and I've got to say, this feels uh, nothing like um, nothing like the rest of Antonioni to me. It's so um, it it's interesting because I I feel I think there are like, hints of it. Oh, I think I think there are, and I think that um, I, I think that what what's interesting here is that where where I can tell it's Antonioni is that. Like this is a plot-heavy noir, but I honestly don't think it feels like he is that interested in the plot. 
Mm -hmm. uh, like, like he's going through the motions and, and it belongs there in a, a, a noir and all, but like that, that's just, I don't think that's something that excites him as a director terribly. For sure. He does like to explore the topography of a city, like, like diving into different, different classes and different, um, just different, uh, in this case, you know, um, uh, suspects or or you know, persons of interest. I don't. Know, I I feel like I feel like he likes moving between different circles quite a bit as a director. So I, I see that as a, a, a through line to the rest of his work. Agreed. Yeah, was, yeah that was where I felt the strongest. And and also with with Antonioni, but this is like this is so a Visconti thing, and you can see the influence there, uh, and just like Italian films at this time. The decline of the aristocracy is like way on their mind, <laughs> and, um, and and you can totally tell that. And I think it makes such a, a nice contrast here between um, between Paula and um, and and her world that she inhabits, and then and then for the second the second movie this this episode we have our our blue collar mechanic. Uh, male character he's a mechanic and that, that is so with cars uh, yeah yeah or um or car salesman or yeah he, like where it's 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 interesting that that is like the the working class uh job of choice mm. so often well i think that that just in talking about both i think part of that is the how much post-war is a different thing here right like post-war for america is like the economy the economy was kind of recovering and then got all this money from the war effort and now all the men are back and like it the dream is here and meanwhile post-war but we're also we're repressing our ptsd and post-war here is literally like that that guy i used to know uh died when people invaded our country or a city was destroyed and now we're rebuilding it um or it's just it just i think both of these a very different sensibility from from the american just yeah. just by context well when, when i when i mentioned um in in the previous uh um death is crest uh about about it, you know, not looking like an old world noir. Well, of course it doesn't. We're we're dealing with where we we are here in a country that that was torn upside down. Um, it is it's it's so different to to talk just five about, years earlier like this right, and yeah to talk about this or to talk about the third man or something like that where you're like in you're in it and and this is this is truly post war noir in a in a way that that you're just not going to see that in hollywood or or in norway yeah um i think there's also uh it's also really fine just because you know ferrari's out right now it was just the, the the specific car culture to italy was um was fun to see i thought yeah uh i i agree I, I was like I that. Think it was a good looking a couple of good some good looking cars in here mm -hmm. i think that's an interest interesting comparison that I uh, I watched I watched Ferrari. I liked it. It was good. Um, and it, I watched and it. it is, Excited too. Yeah. Um, I uh, and I and I think you're right. How much that informs the um, the culture, and it makes it 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 makes it a, a great fit for a postman. At, at like like with Asasion, I I feel like it's it, uh, it, it's certainly very at home with that that kind of car culture. Yeah, although, so I think the change here, I mean, there are a lot of changes, but I, on a structural plot level, what really satisfies me with this is the fact that the initial action is taken by the husband, right? The husband sees these photos and is like, I'm going to hire a private investigator. And that little pebble ends up causing the landslide that results in his death. But there's a, there's a lot of like, but there are multiple ironic levels to it, right? Because it's like he reunites his wife with her ex-lover and they plot to kill him and they almost do, but then they don't. But then he dies anyway because he's distracted because of the information that he gained from causing this investigation to happen. So like all that to me was just very satisfying in a, uh, you know, Coen Brothers bleakly comic kind of way. 
Yeah, I think you're. I think you're totally right about that. And uh, and this is one. Uh, I know you. I know you just saw it, but this is one that has sat really well with me over the, the two months since I think I watched this and and recorded all my notes. Um, but but it has it has held up really really nicely. I like the the shape of it, uh, and and I do like uh, I do like the cause and effect of it all, and I like how it. Um, I did. I just like the look of it in general. Um, yes. It, 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 Some, a couple of really nice wonders in there. Nothing showy, but just you know, a character like I, I, you. Even though it's a, it's a feature, you can you you know that like here's somebody with intention behind the camera. So okay, to put this to to put this on our femme fatale. What I the thing I probably liked the the single thing I liked the most about this um, was that Lucia Bose. I, I don't know how much is is her instinct and how much is Antonioni uh, guiding things, but she just moves around the frame in a way that I found like like took really great use of it, throwing herself up against the wall or onto a bed. And there's always friction in her movement. And I um, I, I really liked her choices of how to how to inhabit that world. She's great. And I feel like she just gets better as the movie goes along, right? That it, it starts off a little um, you know, she's a little tightly wound and then like as Guido reconnects with her and they start to fall back, they, you know, they reconnect and their chemistry grows and her passions start to get the best of her. Um, she's given a lot to do and she does a really, really nice job with it. Yeah. Uh, just a big, a, a, a big pro for any, any, any femme fatale that can create that kind of impact, um, especially within, uh, within what, what starts off as such a busy narrative, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, the film does kind of gradually seed toward, seed itself toward her. And I think is all the better for it. Yeah. And I'll also talk about the business of it. What did you think of the first third of it in the context of our detective season, which we did previously? Um, I, I, I took away much the same as, um, as death is a caress. I, um, I took, the initial dive in grounding it more firmly in noir is something that that um antonioni here felt um like a, a bit obligated to do i'm sure that as his first feature he's you know he's still clearly finding himself a bit as a director so so using that as a touchstone in in a big way i think really helps it's the part of the movie that i am least interested in personally uh, because I, I do think it was moving, I, it was moving fast, but like I said, I didn't feel like he was ever particularly interested in the, mm -hmm. in the, the beats that he was hitting. So I wasn't that invested in them. Um, but, uh, but I, I, at the same time, I like the, the pulpiness instinct of it and, and how much it, it does just kind of burn through plot there. So there's something yeah. to that. No, you're right. I mean, it's definitely sort of a functional exposition. I mean, starting from the very first shot, which is a series of photos and of, you know, off-screen character sort of giving you, like, the backstory. Um, but I thought the... I just thought it was really... It was, a, it was kind of comforting and familiar to return to that, that format of, like, here's our main character, he's searching for truth, and he's going to go talk to a series of people that lead him down the rabbit hole, right? Like, that was just such a familiar blanket to put back on. I was like, oh, yes, right, we're back here. Um, but then I thought it was really funny that it was um, the sort of non-romanticized approach to the life of the detective, but not also not going hard in the other direction of, like, Harper, where you're like, I'm divorced, and I'm sleeping in my office, and I eat coffee for breakfast. You know, like, it doesn't go that far. It's just sort of like, I was this blue-collar guy. I do this job. I... Uh, you know, uh, clients are annoying, but what are you going to do? But also, like, I don't need to run around with a gun, right? It's just so, like, I mostly deal with cheating spouses, and here's another cheating spouse case, and that's it. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, joining of those two those two points of view on, on the detective and the noir. The more I look back on it, the more my initial, my initial complaints or my initial things that were, put me off about it, I just kind of, uh, like, don't bother me when when I think back on it much. I don't mind a, a film uh, cycling through plot like that, and I I like the I like how down to business it is for mm. for the the early goings of this uh, until we until we really get to the 
until we get to the core with um, Paula and Guido. So I know this one went over probably a, a little bit better with you initially. Uh, so we'll see. I know I thought it was great. I also um, thought there was a moment that I, I, again, this is, I guess it speaks to like European and Italian sensibilities, but the moment when the um, the model like takes off her dress in a public spot to give to her after she wins it, I was like, I, I clutched my pearls a little bit. I was like, my goodness. Yeah, we're um, we're we're so I, because we've been burying ourselves so much in in classic Hollywood noir. It feels like, I, honestly, some of some of these things to me, it feels like when I was like discovering cinema all over again. When you spend so long watching a certain type of movie, and then you and you jump over to something new, you're and and they show you something that shouldn't be shocking right. to you, but. But you've just like your brain has been so conditioned to this is how things get made, right? Um, and no, and to what we're talking about with death as a caress too, right? That this is also very willing to dig into and and going back to um, association, uh, you know, this is more than willing to show that like these two people just had sex and that one of those marriages is somebody else, so you know what that means. Yeah. Uh, and and it's going to take a, a good long while for American noir to get there. Yes, uh, we've we've got like I don't know, yeah. a half dozen more episodes until we get there. Mm -hmm. uh, but when and we do, it comes with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Making up for lost time. Here comes the erotic thriller. I mean, uh, body heat's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I in the and in between there, I uh, we've we've talked uh, we've talked this whole episode about about European auteurs, and I just I just think it's so interesting that when I think about their their careers, I'm trying to like like break down the the classic auteurs in my head, and so uh, uh, like who who's who's really influenced by noir? Kurosawa has some clear noir influences but he was a but commercial even, director like even even among the classic of the auteur directors Kurosawa was like a populist right his right. he he's not out there Godard meanwhile on the total other end of the the pendulum is is also clearly very influenced by noir but he doesn't care about it, making anything that's that's right um, well he's influenced by noir as like as object as artistic theory right like he's 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 interested in noir not because it's like uh, not because of narrative sensibility, but because of like what it means as part of cinematic history. Yeah, although, um, and and I guess this weaves into that. But of, of the of the classic noir directors, Godard's the one that's most willing, uh, or one of the most willing to engage in pulpiness as a, sure. a as a. But as it's, a it's more. If, it. it feels more like fetish object to me, right? Like it is. Right. It is about pulp as movie object, not pulp as thing um but i still don't think about your list uh what it kind of reminds me of is ozu's yakuza films before he started doing dramas ah i have watched none of those i only watched like one or two but and they're good i mean you know he's a very obviously he's a good director uh, but it is it is kind of weird to watch an ozu yakuza film and you're like what is what is this yeah um and I, I think that where you see where you see it come through is not in the, the like classic auteurs like Antonioni and and um, Visconti and Bergman and Fellini um, or Mizaguchi there, uh, but but in like the B tier directors mm. that did, like Seijun Suzuki, who we we of course totally. covered on on um, the detective season or Samuel Fuller, who who like legit did make noir, but seemed uh, as his career carried on, he seemed still very, very fascinated by that. Those kind of directors are are much more interested in in carrying that forward into the right. You know, but, the, it, but again, it's not in like quotation marks like it is with Godard. It's just sort of like these are great movies and they make money. So let's do, them. you know, it is uh, termite art, as uh, many favorite would say. Um, yeah, I, you know, the other thing actually, just talking this conversation of just like outdoors meeting up with crime and the weird, um, I just today watched 
a brighter summer day, uh, which I thought was great. But that you know that Yang's Yang doing West Side Story is like a weird. It's a weird vibe. I mean, it's great, but it, it is it is so you know what could what in a regular film would be like crime thriller hysterics gets rendered in his expansive slow cinema-esque approach and just becomes something else completely different. Yeah. And of course that's not a that's not a first feature, right? That he's pretty firmly established in his style by that point. So it, it is much more, you know, him doing him, but um and I, I think that's uh yeah that's an that's an interesting call because too because I you know established auteur directors are rarely slipping into genre pictures right it's um, like uh american filmmakers who make their bones doing a horror movie and then they're like great now i can go make the movies i really want to go make i don't have to make these horror movies anymore yeah but the uh, the art too uh, and, and ultimately noir is a is a genre picture like right. if, you're, if you're getting down you can have any endless variations on it and you can have an elevated version of it uh uh but uh, and and we'll see plenty of other spins on these as we as we go forward. But you know that's why it's that's why Yakuza films or Giallo or things like that feel much more more in the same sphere as what noir is doing, just because they're it listed sells. In the same kind Sex of and violence yeah. sells. Full stop. Um, and uh, and we'll we'll definitely be getting to more on on those kind of fronts and. Uh, and as we as we move further in, we're not quite done with our uh, with the uh, classic noir era. We're going to jump back over to Hollywood, and we're gonna we're gonna catch the tail end of the golden age of noir in the the next couple episodes. But uh, but before long, um, we're gonna we're gonna leap ahead and and see how things start evolving from there. Well, anything else as we're as we're kind of like bringing these two films together, wrapping them up. I just, I, I just find I, um, I enjoy these episodes. I enjoy you know this season, last season. Every time we kind of leave Hollywood for an episode or two and sort of see how other sensibilities and cultures are taking noir, but recombining it and usually into something that's a little bit more character driven. Um, it's always very satisfying. Um, even if I don't love it, it's it's always because as as we often talk about, it's also always illuminating as to like learning what is noir by virtue of what is not noir, and being able to say like, I mean, I personally I think story of a love affair is noir, right? Like it's it's not as like um, the the visual sensibility is not that sort of very heightened space that like the pulpiest of noir gets to, but it, to me, it still feels like a noir narrative. Whereas death as a caress, feels more of like a tragedy to me. I, I'd agree. Um, it's, it's clearly in conversation with noir, but it's not, um, it, it, it doesn't full, even though it, even though it teases you with it, with the, with, with its opening and with its setup, it doesn't ultimately prove interested in, in inhabiting that space. Agreed. Agreed. You know what time it is, Fred. What's in the box? But we're going to do this a little differently. Uh, normally, in honor of Kiss Me Deadly, we're going to say what's something you re recently watched that's so good it deserves to be glowing in that suitcase. However, given that uh, that we've recently put 2023 in the rearview mirror, we're going to run through in reverse uh, our top tens of the year. Uh, and uh, and. I suppose. Do, uh, do we want to give honor any any oversights, any blind spots first? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I say just just outside of my top ten, uh, my uh, other other favorites of the year that did not make my top ten: Passages, uh, Ride Lane, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, and uh, Spider Man: Across the Spider Verse. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give a shout out to Rye Lane and Flight Society too, which are are maybe a little bit further down, but I really like them as directorial debuts and thought they show a lot of promise, and I'm excited to see more from those directors. Uh, Flight Society, I still need to watch. Anything else that you want to also asterisk that you did not get to see yet? 
yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm gonna love Taste of Things, and I'm sure I'm gonna love La Camera, and uh, and probably um, Zone of Interest, and those are all gaping blind spots for me. Uh, same, yeah. Uh, well, I also have not watched Taste of Things uh, yet. I also have not watched. Um, uh, see the one here. I've watched Eileen. I've watched Ferrari. And there's, uh, I haven't watched Monster yet. Persian version, uh, Polite Society, Royal Hotel. I think those are the big ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's always more movies that you haven't watched, but I, I, my feeling always. is always also that like year end lists and critics' lists and all that are just great ways to learn about movies you haven't heard about yet. That, you know, that's their value. Mm-hmm. So. What do you have at uh, at number ten, Brad? My number ten is Poor Things. Uh, a little, little all over the place, but when it's hitting, it's hitting really good. Emma Stone is great in it, and uh, yeah, uh, an amazing production design, incredible. Number ten for me is Anatomy of a Fall. Um, just uh, fantastic performance from Sandra Hiller. Uh, loved how it was shot, how courtroom scenes held my attention, which is impressive. Um, really liked it. Nice. Uh, my number nine is Bo is Afraid. Um, pretty much the exact same review as Poor Things. Uh, <laughs> a little messy, a little over the place. Uh, great central performance. Some of the best scenes of the year. Some of the best scenes of the year and uh, great production design. Would be a wonderful doubleheader of Bo is Afraid and Poor Things. Uh, my number nine is Barbie, um, which is a blast. Uh, production design is impeccable. Uh, Ryan Gosling, tremendous. Every, really, everything about it. Just a delightful movie. Great script. Um, loved it. Very nice. My number eight, Past Lives. Uh, I thought the first half was really cooking and got a little wibbly-wobbly right in the middle, but uh, great performances and a great ending. Uh, number eight is Poor Things. Me. Um, I agree with you, Fred. Um, it is a little bit all over the place, but it did genuinely uh, work really well thanks to uh, thanks to Emma Stone's terrific performance. And I just loved, uh, I know this is probably contentious, but I loved Mark Ruffalo playing the buffoon. It was so Oh, fun. he's great. Yeah, he's a lot of uh, fun. He was what? fantastic. He was great. <laughs> uh, my number seven, Barbie. Um same review as Bo's Afraid and Four Things. A little messy, great central performances, wonderful production design. Um, Would be a great triple feature. Oh, yeah. Uh, Moving on up, I have John Wick 4, which has has continued to climb in my estimation over the course of the year. Uh, I am a sucker for uh, for deathly executed action sequences, and I feel a little bit starved for them in American cinema. Lately, uh, this delivered on those fronts. It is a little bit long and bloated, and uh, and 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 perhaps not perfect. But I did I did come away with it with that amazing uh, fight on the staircase, and and that will live. And and uh, and um, Donnie Yen's wonderful performance. Uh, I I really liked it. Donnie Yen is great in that. Uh, my number six is Fallen Leaves, which is my first Korosmaki. And I thought it was great. I loved how it's uh, all all of the like aesthetic signifiers is that it's this melodrama about alcoholism and but it's just so so deadpan uh, in this dialogue, verging on hard boiled. Um, it was a mood that I loved, and I can't wait to visit the rest of his filmography. Uh, La Havre is, is quite good. I like. He's a good director. He's he's all in that pitch. It, right. That's whatever is that like this is the movie, yeah. and it's just yeah. if you like it, you'll like it ten more times. Yeah, that's a good. That was a good movie. Um, all right, slight cheat, but um, but my number six uh, is the is Wes Anderson's collected Road Doll shorts, Fair. Um, which which I think could have been bundled together with the through line of Ray Fiennes. Um, but I've heard there's uh, going to be another four next year. Oh, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, it's an um, online rumor, so grain of salt, but I would be very excited for that as well. Um, re- really liked them. Um, the Rat Catcher was probably my favorite of the of, of the group. Um, Swan was my favorite. 
um, but they're they're all they're all just so so of a piece with each other and um, and um, I just just last night had watched um, uh, uh, Death to Tell also in in the personal history of David Copperfield, which similarly takes a text and just kind of motors through it. Uh, and I found uh, I appreciated Wes's approach even more, having watched that and feeling like he really he really figured out how to do it in the most in in the way that left you with actual actual impact uh, yeah. at the end. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, his if if they were bundled together, I I might be thinking about them in contention for the top ten here for me too. Uh, all right, top five. My number five, Passive Fiction, one of my favorites of the year. It may continue to go up this list. Uh, it's uh, already in my, yeah, it, it just uh, it lives on in my it. head. It is phenomenal. Um, Clearly need to fix that. Just uh, it, uh, bad vibe cinema is my favorite kind um, of cinema. And this is this is bad vibes. Um, my number five, and I do, I, I've, I do genuinely like my top five quite a bit. Um, uh, and and most of them have continued to kind of climb in my estimation. Uh, going with Suzumi, I just uh, it's uh, you know it's 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 cinema about big things. It's gorgeously animated. Uh, it gets a little weird, but that's okay. I found it really endearing and and just hits its emotional beats well. And uh, and and has had a, a lot of staying power since I watched. It. And it has a hell of a good, very catchy song. That I have has climbed very high on my Spotify for the year. I mean, uh, I still have to watch this, Suzumi, but I don't know if anything can beat um, Ken's Ken's song from Barbie for me. That was one uh, of the best Barbie. moments of Ken, my Ken's movie going experience is, in twenty twenty three. It's pretty fantastic, no lie for sure. Uh, and then the and then the the the, the, the dream ballet sequence. Oh man, that's mm -hmm. that is some primo movie making it's, right there. It's great. It's movie magic. Uh, all right, my number four. Speaking of anime, the boy and the heron. Um, right. This is this is the year for uh, messy auteurism, and uh, you know, it, it isn't consistently like my favorite thing. But when it hits, it hits real good. And uh, you know, I I would put this with Barbie and Bo's Afraid and Poor Things as uh, four movies that should have been titled How Do You Live. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, my number four is Past Lives. Um, just uh, really, really hit well with me. I am uh, uh, on, a, on a performance level, yes, but also I am a big sucker for a good New York movie. And mm. and this is a great New York movie. This is a great New York movie. That's very makes, true. It makes New York look really fucking good. Um so I was I was definitely swept up in it. Greta Lee's um, up there on my favorite performances of the year. Uh, just hit hit really well for me. Cool. Uh, my number three, Asteroid City. Uh, probably a hair too clever for its own good, but uh, just the loop de loops that it's doing hit me in the right way. Um, yeah, it's good. I uh, I'll. I look forward to revisiting that one too. I put the other Wes in my top 10. That's fair. Can't but, blame you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number three, um, and uh, I, I feel like the, my top two are the ones I've got, or my this my top three I've got to like, keep plugging away for people, but Royal Hotel uh, is my uh, one of my favorites of the year. It is just so comparatively simple when I look at the, like in a year of like big kind of bloated, ambitious movies. Uh, I really appreciated something just being a tighter genre picture that actually was had a really well thought out dynamic between its two leads with two excellent performances uh, from Julia Garner and Jessica Henwick. And uh, and yeah, I'm more I'm more I think back on it, the more I really like how it resolved itself. And um, so I got I'm excited to I, I really enjoyed the assistant. So I'm excited to dig into Royal Hotel. Uh, my number two. Zone of interest. It is uh need to see that real real feel bad movie. And uh it, like this is a movie of impeccable control and then it breaks in just the right way. Don't want to say anything else, but where where it ends is incredible and it was what put it into the stratosphere for me. So oh, uh, I cannot wait. Zone of interest. 
my number two uh, is a Bollywood film called Rocky Arani Ki Prem Kahani. Um, it's got uh, Ali Abbat, who between this and RRR is having a uh, great decade um, so far in my, in my books. Um, and Ranveer Singh, uh, husband of Kapika Padukone. Um, it's got the legendary Jaya Bachchan uh, in a nicely kind of villainous role. Um, it's just a big, messy family melodrama musical, um, and it's very heartfelt. And uh, musical numbers are great, and it just looks—it looks so good, and uh, and it's it's very emotional. Um, and I loved it. Nice, nice. It's on Prime, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember you. I remember you plugging that one when you first watched it on our "What's in the Box" sequence, uh, section. Um, all right, my number one, May, December, Todd Haynes, given the good stuff, just delicious filmmaking, and uh, it just kept unpeeling and revealing new layers to itself. The, the scene with Natalie Portman in the back of the uh, pet shop was the moment that I was like, I think I love this movie. And then, uh, but then the, the final stretch with, um, oh, what's his name from... Uh, Archie from uh, Riverdale. Melton. Charles Melton. Yes, the final stretch with Charles Melton just like solidified everything that was on this movie's mind and all the poisonous ways that it is uh, looking into the heart of uh, polite American society. I thought it was great. Uh, I am. I'm not. I'm not quite as enamored as you are, but I will give you that it is a tremendous Natalie Portman performance, and uh, I, uh, I I liked her very much, and uh, and and I can see the I can see the appeal to it, uh, even if it didn't land quite quite as hard for me. Uh, my number one uh, is on your list. It is Boy and the Heron. I it is. It is probably Miyazaki's messiest movie, and yet I don't care. Mm -hmm. I just like it, it. You can just see so just like with um, just like with uh, with Killers of the Flower Moon, you can see an aging a tour just pouring everything into it, and uh, and and it becomes like any Miyazaki movie. To be honest, it's less about the the plot than it is about the emotion poured into it yes and you feel that movie you don't necessarily understand it but you feel it and i just really like looking at miyazaki's trajectory uh as a as a director because i and i've, I've plugged this on on the on on before but but Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is one of my favorite movies ever. And it's such an, it's a young, a younger man's movie and it's an angry movie. And it's so fascinating to see like the, the arc of, of how Miyazaki communicates and how, and what's on his mind between his early, early cinema. And, and it's, and, and Nausicaa is one of his more focused movies, um, uh, arguably. Supposedly. His next movie should be a sequel. I saw that if which would be which would delight me to no end, and I would I would ah. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, that for you. I'm hoping that I, for you. Thank you. That would be the the most wonderful cinematic gift I have ever received in my <laughs> life. <laughs> okay, well, great great movie year. Every year is always a great movie year. Um, we have uh, we have three three in common on our top tens. Uh, 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 Bar Barbie, Poor Things, and um, and Boy in the Heron. Oh, Past Lives too. Yeah, yeah, Past Lives, Poor Things, Barbie, Boy in the Heron. Yeah, I guess that's it. Um, I bet once you watch Zone of Interest, we'll have four in common. Yeah, I got a, I got a hunch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig that. Although I, I like, um, uh, I don't like Under the Skin as much as I think I probably should. Um, well, well, then maybe not. We'll see. We'll tie it out once you watch it. Um, yes. And of course, all our love to all the movies we watched this year. Maybe we didn't name you. Actually, you know another one honorable mention? Iron Claw. It didn't quite hit for me, but that's one where I'm like, I might revisit that and get on its its wavelength. Yeah, there's there's good things about there's good things to Iron Claw. There's a lot of there's a lot lots, of lots of movies. Things. Lots of movies, lots of great movies out there. These are not the 10 best, these are our 10 favorites. Indeed. Um, all right. Well. Let's bring things to a close. Thanks, as always, for joining us on this excavation of this darkest, 
grittiest of genres, you can find us online at celluloiddirt.com and on Letterboxd under the handle Celluloid Dirt. Join us next time when we return stateside for the arrival of Marilyn Monroe. Until then, may your viewings be riddled with scandal and desperation. Good night. Celluloid Dirt is a strange phantom production. Written and produced by Tristan Johnson and Fred Pelzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. His work can be found at incompetech.com. If you like the podcast, tell a friend.